This is a free download from Delancey Eden Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Eden Church building at the Banks and Samson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelan.co.uk. I'm not doing it. Greg, you promised. No, 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 no. There's no way you're getting me to do that. You're such a baby. Wah, 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 wah. No, no. All you do is cry. Wah, no, I'm not. I just don't want to do it. Come on. <sighs> Hello, everyone. We're supposed to do our Easter play for you, but Greg doesn't want to do it. Too right I'm not doing it. Come on, Greg. We did really well in rehearsals. But why not, Greg? Look at all the children here. They'll be really disappointed if we don't do the play. But I don't like the part I have to play. Why? Can't you remember the words? Of course I can. I've got a good me- me- Oh, what's that word again? Memory? Yeah, I've got a good memory. Well, what is it then? What's the problem? The problem is I'm a boy and you want me to play the part of a girl. Well, you can't play the part of a boy, I'm afraid. It's all girls. But, but, I don't want to play a girl. Girls, now. Greg, that's not a nice thing to say. Excuse me? Well, not you, though, uh, Amy. You're cool. In fact, you smell lovely like, um, um, flowers or something beautiful like that. I do. <sighs> Thank you. Phew, Karen. I think I got away with that one. Pardon? Uh, nothing. So, as I was saying, I'm a boy. I can't even play the part of a girl. I don't look like a girl. No problem. There's your costume down there. What? Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Go on. Put it on. No, no. I'm not doing that. Go on. (sighs) I better explain. The problem is that the play that they've been practicing is about um, the women who went into the tomb where Jesus' body was laid. So when they put him in the tomb, they would put sweet-smelling oil on his body. And it was only the women who went in first of all. I think maybe the men were a bit scared, like Greg over there. Um, And just so you know who they are when they come out to act their play out for you, Greg is playing the part of a lady called Mary, and Amy's playing the part of a lady called Mary, because there are two Marys in the story. But, oh, how do I look? Lovely. Doesn't Greg look good? Yeah? No? Poor Greg. All right, should we get on with the play? Okay, but I'll only do it, Karis, if you do a little ballet dance for everybody. No, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, go on. You want to see it, that, don't do you, Mum? Did that boy's a girl? Do it, do it, do it. No, do no. It. sorry, Greg. I'll tell you what, I'll buy you a really big Easter egg instead. Okay, I'll only do it if it's a really big Easter egg. It's a deal. Should we get on with the play now? Okay, as long as the Easter egg has um, lots of extra chocolate and it has like Smarties inside and then Maltesers and also some uh, uh, dairy milk and also some butter. Hey, Greg, you get the picture. Shut up. Okay, let's go. I think you need a higher voice. What? You want me to talk like a girl too? Of course. We do want this to look and sound professional. Okay, let's get on with it then. (laughs) Very early in the morning, they were walking towards the tomb where Jesus' body had been laid. Who will roll back the stone so we can put the special oil on Jesus? I have heard that the Romans have put soldiers by the tomb to guard it. Maybe they won't be able to help us. I hope so, but they look quite scary. As they got close to the tomb, there was an earthquake. The ground shook and the trees swayed, and they almost fell over. They were terrified. Ah! 
The soldiers who were guarding the tomb were afraid too. In fact, they were scared stiff. Quick, Mary, the soldiers are in shock and love. The earthquake has moved just stone in front of the tomb. From the tomb, front of the tomb. We can sneak into the tomb and put the sweet-smelling oil on Jesus' body. Hang on, hang on, Amy. Won't this stuff make Jesus smell like a girl? Oh, no, Greg. This is what people did in those days. They would cover the body in sweet-smelling oil and spices as a mark of respect. Oh. Anyway, can we get back to the story? Where were we? You were just running back to the tomb. Oh, that's right. Mary! Yes, Mary? Do you see what I see? What? Nothing. What do you mean, nothing? Look at the tomb. It's empty. Wow. What do you mean, wow? Mary, it must be the wrong tomb. No, Mary, it's definitely the right one. Do you think Mary would have made such a mistake? And what about the soldiers? Why would they be guarding an empty tomb? Well, then, if Jesus had disappeared, somebody must have stolen the body. No, Mary, no one could have stolen the body because the soldiers would have stopped them. Well, then what happened? They were amazed at what they had seen. But then they noticed an angel in the corner of the tomb. The angel had caused the earthquake and moved the stone away. She told them that Jesus had risen from the dead. Wow! Amazing! Now I can understand what Jesus said. What do you mean? I heard the disciples talking the other day about how Jesus said he would come back to life after he had died. It's come true. Jesus is alive. Let's go quick and tell the others. They'll be so happy when they hear the news. Quick, Mary! And so they ran out of the tomb back to the city of Jerusalem to find the disciples and the followers of Jesus and tell them that he'd come back to life. The first Easter really was amazing. Bye. Bye. With you, I just want to... I just love this kind of thought, this word alive, and I just want us to think about that this morning as we come to really celebrate the, the power of resurrection. I just think in this word alive... Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 3. Okay, I was just checking on something, don't worry. Uh, I am coming back. Okay, just one verse there, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3. Just this great uh, declaration of Paul says, For I delivered to you First of all, that was also received. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. I just love that. Because we kind of celebrate Easter. Isn't it interesting? I don't know why they got this idea that they want to remove Easter from Easter. Somebody saw that? And actually, it's not even a biblical term, actually. But it's interesting how people sort of almost want to remove any kind of Christian or thought. You know, dare we think Easter is about Jesus? Dare we think that? And there's almost this kind of sense that's there. But Paul declares this, this incredible fact that Jesus died, rose again, and he will come back. And there's just an incredible thing, that he rose, and there's this incredible fact, for those that believe in him, he lives in them. And that one's awesome. He lives in them. His love, his power, and his blessings through us. He lives, and he lives through us. I think one of the, I think one of the first songs, I think it was one of the first big kind of songs I remember learning as a young Christian. Remember that song, He Lives, He Lives? I remember that one. 
And, and one of the, the part of the song, I'm not going to sing it because I don't want you to close your ears, but one of the, part of that verse is, you ask me how I know he lives. Remember that? He lives within my heart. And I was, I was I kind of thinking about that so much that, that often when people are saying, how do you know Jesus lives? One of the incredible things to be able to say that you, you ask me that, I'll tell you where he lives. He lives in my heart. And that's the truth. That Jesus rose, he lives, and he lives in you. Isn't that an incredible fact? He lives in you. Many years ago, during communism, when Russia was under communism, they, had like a, they gathered all this village together, and, and a communist leader began to speak on the virtues of communism for about 20, 30 minutes. And then he said to this minister, to this pastor, he says, you can speak about Christianity just for five minutes. He said, I don't need five minutes, I just need ten seconds. And he cried out these words, he's risen. And suddenly everybody shouted out, he's risen indeed. And that's the truth, that Jesus is alive and he lives in us. So many great truths. Many years ago, as a man, actually, he, he, was, he was actually a lawyer. He didn't believe in the Bible, didn't believe in the resurrection. And he thought, the strength of Christianity is in the resurrection. If he could disprove the, the resurrection, then everything else in Christianity would literally just fall to pieces. So he, as a lawyer, he used a liar's mind, and he had this idea he would address the resurrection as you would address it in the court of law. That's what his idea was. And so he, he began to research about the resurrection. And the more he researched it, the more he looked at the historical evidence of the resurrection of Jesus, the, the, the witnesses and, and all the evidences that existed, somebody who was literally an atheist, the more he studied it, the more he, he, he began to research it, the more he became convinced that Jesus indeed had risen from the dead. His name was Frank Morris and he wrote a book, Who Moved the Stone? He began trying to disprove it, he ended up realizing the resurrection really happened. And he became a, a committed Christian. That book sold thousands and thousands of books. It's a great book. Who moved the stone? Because the resurrection is such a powerful fact. And often it's something that we celebrate sort of once a kind of year. But I think actually the reality is it's something we should live out Every single day of our lives. That Jesus is alive 365 days. It's the basis of the Christian message. I've often said the most beautiful thing about the tomb of Jesus is the fact that it's empty. He's risen and he's risen indeed. Jesus is alive and he lives through you and I. We are meant to be vehicles and vessels that, that reveal the message that Jesus is alive. We're, we're the messengers. We're the people that he lives his life through. And we need to get hold of that. Paul says, I no longer live, but what? Christ lives in me. And that, and that truth, the fact that, that we are the ones, we're the vehicles, we're the ones that the life of Jesus is meant to be revealed and demonstrated through. And he wants, to, he wants to live in our lives, he wants to abide in our lives, and he wants us 
To be an expression of him in the world. We're made to be an expression of him in the world. You think about this. Maybe you think of things in your life that may hold you back. Some of the, the struggles, the pains, the difficulties, the crisis, the heartbreaks. Think about this. That the same power that raised Christ from the dead is now at work in you. And if that same power that rose Christ from the dead really is at work in me, then actually what I'm facing is very small in comparison to the power of the life of the Christ that lives in me. And what we need to have is a revelation and understanding that Jesus lives in me and the same power that raised him from the dead is at work in me. He's alive and he lives in me and I'm meant to be an expression of that life wherever I go and whatever I do. Jesus is alive and he lives in me. That grave could not hold him and the things that want to hold you back no longer need to hold you back. The setbacks, the things that often come against us because Jesus is alive and he's real. Can you say amen? Now, can we put the word up alive? Is that, can we, we do that one? I, got to, I always do this, but I've got a little bit of a PowerPoint just for you to just grasp what I'm going to share with you this morning. But do we think of those words alive? What does it mean for Jesus to be alive and for him to be alive in who? Who's he alive in? Who believes in him, who trusts in him, who've given their life to him, he's alive in you. Why don't we just think of those words and what that actually means? First thing, the word alive is the word, what is it, the word? A. Are you awake this morning? A, okay. And A stands for, because he is alive, it means I am accepted. I'm accepted. You are accepted in his presence, forgiven, child of God, redeemed. When Adam sinned in the garden. He sinned because he, he did not believe really in God's word. And you know the story, he ate of the forbidden fruit which, and, he, and he doubted and questioned God's integrity because the devil came to him and said, did God say? And so he doubted the word of God and he, he sinned and disobeyed what God said. And the Bible says that the moment he did that, we became separated from God. Sin separated us from God. We, we, we were cut off. We were separated from God. Aren't you glad that God never gave up on his plan? And Jesus came. He bore your sin. He bore my sin. He died for all the, all the stuff, all the junk, all the, the things that we did wrong in our lives. He died. He bore the punishment. He rose again. And now, through his death, we come into a position not of being pushed away from God's presence, but actually we become accepted in God's presence. We become accepted. The Bible says that when Jesus died, the veil was rent from top to bottom. The veil was torn open, which meant that the veil that separated man from God's presence was now Open. There was no access to come into God's presence, not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus done. 
And now, through his blood, through his death on the cross, we become accepted by God himself. Isn't that amazing? The biggest problem in today's world, and to so many hearts and lives, so many people live without any sense of acceptance. People are looking for acceptance. And they try amazing things to find acceptance. They try and find it in relationships. They try and find it in careers. They try and find it in money. They're looking to find some kind of acceptance. But the greatest thing of all is to know that God accepts you. That acceptance is found in God himself. And people can spend so much time, so much energy in trying to get accepted, but deep down in their hearts, they still feel unwanted and not accepted. People go through tragedies. They go through broken relationships. That often leaves people with a sense of not feeling wanted and not feeling accepted in life. Massive big thing in our world. This sense of not feeling accepted. There's a story of a young girl who, whose parents split up. And the father at that point said to her, from this time on, I want nothing to do with you ever. She wrote him letters. She sent him all kinds of things to go in contact with him, but he refused to have any contact with her whatsoever. When she was eight, probably about 21 by now, that she was actually graduated from Cambridge University. And she sent, a, she sent an invitation to him. This is a true story. She sent an invitation to him to invite him to her graduation. She graduated through, through I think it was Oxford or one, Oxford or Cambridge. She graduated through that university. And he wrote a letter back to her. I said to you, I wanted nothing more to do with you. From that point on, that lady's life was, that girl's life was so limited, so restricted, because that pain of not feeling acceptance just gripped our heart. The only way we can, because if we don't live in acceptance, the alternative is that we live in rejection. Because the opposite to acceptance is rejection. And so many people live their lives with the pain of deep Rooted rejection. And the only answer to to rejection, actually, is to know the affirmation of our Heavenly Father. To know that He affirms us and to know that He accepts us. Actually, the moment you understand that and get a revelation of that, it begins to drive out the pain of rejection. Remember this, that when Jesus died, He was rejected. So So why? We could be accepted. My God, my God, why have you what? Forsaken me. He became rejected and forsaken so that we could come into an incredible experience of knowing his acceptance. Ephesians 1.7, one of my favorite verses ever. Sorry, Ephesians 1.6. Listen to what it says. I have been accepted in the beloved. Through Jesus, I am accepted. God doesn't tolerate us. He accepts us because Jesus was rejected so that we might become accepted. 
Because his blood this morning makes me acceptable to God. Isn't that amazing? So when I receive Christ, at that moment, at that very second, God says, you are acceptable to me. And when I become acceptable before God, it helps me to have self-esteem about myself. I'm not a rejected person. I'm not a leftover. I'm valuable. He paid a price for me to bring me close to him. And when you know you're accepted by God, you know what happens about that? Because unless we know acceptance, we can never come into all the fullness of what God has for us because we'll always be having barriers and wars to, to receive what he has for us because of our rejection. But the moment we know he's accepted us, we can receive all that he has for us. And when I know I'm accepted by God, you know what's something else? I also can accept other people. The reason why people reject people is because deep down in their hearts, they don't feel accepted themselves. But when you know you're accepted by God, it's far easier to begin to accept people. People who failed you, people who disappointed you, people who, who are weak, people who have messed up. You can accept them because you know yourself that you've been accepted. And there's something even more powerful. When you learn to know that God's accepted you, when you know the ability to accept people, so i tell you something else, you can begin to accept yourself. Isn't it amazing? People struggle to even accept themselves. They struggle with who they are. I think the great problem, even with the, with the debate about gender, it's actually down to the fact that people don't really know who they are. And the enemy lies to them who they are. But we are new creatures in Christ. We've been accepted by God. And because we've been accepted by God, we can learn to accept ourselves. The Bible says, when you learn to love God, when you love your neighbor as yourself, then there's a third thing. You begin to love yourself and accept yourself. Can you say amen? How many are glad that Jesus is alive? Because he's alive is the first thing. You learn to accept you. you. You believe that God accepts you, you accept people, and you can begin to accept yourself. Here's the second thing, very quickly. Not only you are accepted, but you are loved. You are loved because He is love. You know, salvation is a product of God's love. One verse, 1 John 4, verse 9. I love this verse. Because it reminds me how much Jesus loves me. He's alive because he's alive. I am loved. You want to say to yourself, I am loved. Isn't that awesome? You know, I think, I think you want to get that into your heart. You know what you want to do? How many of you got a routine? When you get up in the morning, you know what you do probably? Most of us sort of, Coffee, yeah? I've got to have a coffee. Isn't it amazing? I've got to have a coffee. It's almost, I cannot live, I cannot exist in life unless I have my coffee first thing in the morning. How many of you do that? Or your tea or whatever, you know. How many coffee? Uh, coffee? See, so your tea, aren't you, Sid? I bet your tea, yeah, I thought you would be. Uh, so people do, you have a little routine. In fact, you go, if you go to a, a cafe regularly, it's amazing that you see the same people there at the same time drinking the same thing. It's amazing, we are people of routine. I tell you, some great routine to do. When you get up in the morning, look in that mirror, if you can, and begin to say to yourself, you know what? I'm loved by God. 
I'm accepted by God. I'm his beloved. He loves me so much. And you begin to talk to yourself. There's something powerful about self-talk. When you tell yourself, not what people have told you, not what circumstances have told you, but what God tells you. And this great verse in 1 John. 1 John 4, verse 9. Listen to what it says. In this is love of God was manifest towards us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. Because he's alive, we know his love. The Bible says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us. Just this sense today that you're loved with an absolute burning passion. God loves you with utterly, utter burning passion. His love is extravagant. You can't ever measure it. You can't ever, ever come to the end of it. His love is totally and utterly extravagant. His love is, is abundant. It never runs out. His love is powerful. It's the most powerfulest thing you can ever experience is to know how powerful the love of God is. His love is mighty. His love is eternal. It never comes to an end. His love is unconditional. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. And Romans 5 verse 5, because there's the great truth of all, is that you can experience that love. Romans 5 verse 5 says, The Holy Spirit has shed abroad in our hearts the love of God. In other words, the love of God isn't just some theological fact. Isn't something that, that, that's just some theological truth. The love of God can be experienced and it can actually be felt. You can experience that love. You can, you can actually feel it and experience it in your life. Paul said this. It's like pray that you would come to experience, not just know it, you'd come to experience the love that God has for you. We need to experience that love. The, 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 the extravagance of it. The power of it. The strength of it. We begin to experience that love. And the cross demonstrates how much he loves you. So every time you question how much God loves you, remember that he died for you on the cross to prove and demonstrate how much He loves you. And that word there, when it says that the Holy Spirit is pours into your heart the the love of God, that word pour, that word pour in the Greek means shed. It means to to be poured into. It means to be it means to it's almost like a stone when you throw a stone in the water and it just ripples out. And he says, I'm praying that you will be so filled, so absolutely engrossed with the love of God. That love will so fill you. So get a hold of your life. It will drive you. It will motivate every area and every dimension of your life. It just grips a hold of your heart. and It grips you and motivates you and drives you in life to know that you are truly loved by God. Part of our insecurities and part of our fears. It's interesting what it says. What it says? It says, perfect love, what does it do? Cast out fear. Think about this. If I'm full of anxiety, if I'm full of worry, if I'm full of overwhelming sense of, of, of struggling in life, then maybe the issue is 
I'm not allowing the love of God to fill me. Because when he fills with his love, he drives out the fear. Because perfect love casts it out. It drives it out. So where there's fear and anxiety in my life, that's evidence I've never fully grasped the depth, the perfect love of Father. Now he pours that love into me. You know why? Not just so that I experience it myself, but so I might pour that love out to others. So that's the question. Never forgot this question. I said this. What does love look like? Never thought about that. What does it look like? It's a word. It's a term. But what, what does love look like? What does it actually look like? Heidi Baker said that. And, she's, and she discovered, you know what love looked like to her? When she was in Mozambique, she discovered this, that love was taking a, an orphan child that was literally dying on the streets, taking it back to a home, feeding it, loving it, pouring all that she had into that child. And that is what her love looked like to that child. And she actually realized this. She said, I'm reaching Mozambique one child at a time. What does love look like? I think love to the lonely person looks like someone listening to them. I think love looks like to the person that's hungry, it looks like you feeding them. I think to the brokenhearted, love means somebody that you begin to, to, to show affection and love to. So whatever circumstance, whatever person that you're wanting to pour that love out, you need to ask yourself a question. What does love look like to that person? One of the things we do in marriage courses, one of the first things we do is the love language. Because, you know, everyone's got a love language. Do you realize that? See, two ladies, you know, to you ladies, what men think love means doesn't necessarily mean that same to you. Is that right? See, to some, love can mean a gift. Flowers. For others, it can mean affection. Brothers, it, it, it can mean so many different things. And often, if we don't understand the love language, then we are trying to communicate love, and they don't see it as love, because they don't think that's, that's not their language. So we need to learn that love language to be able to communicate love, not only to our spouses, but to people around us. How, what does love look like to the person you're trying to reach in love? Amen? So, the love of God is poured into us. We're loved by God. We're accepted. We are loved by God himself. Isn't that awesome? You are loved by God because of the cross. Have you experienced, have you encountered, do you know that love in the depth of your being? Are you living your life out of that assurance of being loved? Here's the third thing. We're accepted, we're loved. And here's the third thing. We are inspired. I don't think there's anything like the gift of inspiration. I don't think there's anything more destructive than negativity. When you're kind of down on yourself. If you have no goal, no objective, you don't use your potential because nothing's inspiring your heart. And I think the wonderful thing about Jesus, he's alive because he brings you a cause. He gives you a cause to live your life. What's the cause? What, what are you living for? What's the cause of your heart? What's the cause of your life? What are you really living your life for? What's the thing you give your time for? What's the time thing you give your affections for? What do you give your life to? What is the cause you're living for? The greatest cause you can live your life for 
is the cause of Jesus Christ. His cause. And the great thing about Jesus alive is he gives you his cause, which is the highest cause you can ever live your life forever. No other cause, no other greater cause than to live the cause for Jesus. That cause was so great that Jesus left heaven to come and die on the cross because that was the cause that gripped and moved his heart. And that's the cause he wants to grip and move your heart. I think living for the, living for the right cause is the greatest place of satisfaction you can ever have in life. The way to be dissatisfied with life is not to live for a good cause. Isn't that an issue of life? See, the real issue is that when we come to an end of our life, we're able to say, I live for a course, an amazing course. And so we want to be able to say that, that we ran the race, we live for the course. Listen to what someone said, and I've never forgotten these words, they're so powerful. He said, he said this, when I found it. He said, it does not take great ability to change our world, but someone with a heart that cares, a mind that is determined, and a spirit that is willing, a cause that matters, and a person ready to help. Jesus found people in hopeless conditions. And he met them, he touched them, and he began to give them a cause to live their life. I think of the demonic. We're told he, he was in such a, a bound place. He, he lived in the tombs. He, he cut himself with all kinds of stuff. And he was in agony and pain and torment. And Jesus met him, Jesus delivered him, and says, from now on, I'm going to give you a cause. And the Bible said he went out throughout the region declaring what Jesus had done for him. Think about that. A man so broken, a man so smashed up, the moment Jesus got a hold of him, he gave him hope, gave him future, and he gave him a cause to live his life for. Isn't that wonderful? I remember years ago, a girl called Linda, I always remember her. Dear Linda. Remember Linda? The girls remember When she first came to the church at the time, she was... You literally, she was like a feather, you could pick her up. She probably didn't weigh more than about six stone, I would think. She was so, literally, she was drawn. She was absolutely, she, I, the thing that always struck me about her, she had a tattoo of uh, Winnie the Pooh. But not Winnie the Pooh with a balloon, Winnie the Pooh smoking pot. That was a tattoo. I always remember that tattoo she had. And, and she, was, she was on drugs. She was in a, a mess. And I remember she just came forward. She came to Christ, and we prayed for her, and the power of God hit that girl. And I just think with a matter of a couple of months that she, she, she got married, uh, she led the boyfriend at the time to Christ, her mother came to Christ, the step come, I mean we had a baptismal service and baptized literally the whole family. And she, she came off drugs, she got a job, she just put her whole life together just in a matter of months. And when you saw her, you would not even recognize the difference her life was. Because now she had a cause to live for. And that cause wonderfully transformed her life. Here's the next thing. So, think about this. The the disciples were right there in that upper room. And they were fearful, they were afraid. The moment they realized that Jesus was alive, it inspired them. It inspired them to take that message to the whole world. Something happened that the moment they realized, the Bible says, when they saw he was alive, their hearts were glad. And the moment they realized he was alive, it inspired them to move and to touch the world. Here's the next one, V. Almost finished. Valued. When you know 
Jesus is alive, you know you are valued. How do you measure the value of something? Have you ever thought about it? I've seen people, and you often see where people buy a painting that's sometimes they pay about 15 million for a painting. You look at it and you think, I don't get it. You know, it's just like green paint, and they'll pay 15, 20 million for it. Because that's the value. They value that painting. You may not, but they value it. So whatever you value, you're willing to pay an extreme price for. That's how you measure the value of something. It's the price that is paid for it. How do you measure your value? If I was to take your body chemicals, it's probably no worth more than a couple of pounds. But how much are you valued? What's the value? God says, you are so valuable to me. You're not redeemed with fresh, with, fle- with silver and gold, but you're redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus. You're so valuable to me, I'm willing to pay the ultimate price for your redemption. And I think there's something amazing when you say, I'm valuable to God. God values me. There's a value on me. There's a story in Luke's Gospel. I haven't got time to look into it. There's a story there. And Jesus says, how much are you worth? What's your value? And he talks about the fifth sparrow. A fifth sparrow. That's crazy. A fifth sparrow. And he says, you pay... The same price you, he said, he talks about, every gone to Tesco, do you buy two for the price of one? Never thought about that. Well, this is kind of Max Sparrow, where you buy five sparrows for the price of four. So, in other words, the fifth sparrow is utterly useless. It's valueless. But they put it in to attract you to buy the sparrows. You know, roasting sparrows. That particularly attracts you, but never mind. You know, roasted sparrows. So in other words, the fifth, the, fifth sparrow, the fifth sparrow is totally and utterly useless. But Jesus says, even that fifth sparrow has some value. How much more will your heavenly Father value you? And he goes on to say, even the hairs on your head are numbered. In other words, God cares for even the minutest details of your life because when you value something, you care about every minute detail. Have you, have you got some valuable that you look after? You care for the minutest details of it. And God says, you are so valuable to me, I'm concerned for every area and every dimension of your life. Because you are valuable. You are valuable. You know what he says, and this blows your mind when you think about it. It says, the thoughts I have for you are not to destroy you, but thoughts to give you hope and to give you a future. He also says, the thoughts I have to you are more than the sand on the seashore. How many think there's a lot of sand on the seashore? And he says, Those are the, I have so many thoughts towards you, good thoughts. The thoughts I have are good, and there's so many of them, you can't even count the amount of thoughts I have towards you. You only think about something you value. Is that right? You don't, if you don't value something, you tend not to give much time or thought to it. And God says, I think about you all the time because you are so valuable to me and I will pay the ultimate price because of your value to me tonight, today. Isn't that awesome? You are valued by God. He's alive and because he's alive, you are valued.
You think of David Beckham. I was trying to think of a sports star. Probably David Beckham is probably the... If I said so, you may not know him. But you think of David Beckham. He's probably known to all of us. Imagine if he lived his life, and in his mind he could see himself as someone three foot small and six foot wide. You know, he would never ever achieve what he's achieved because of, his, because of the way he sees himself. And because of the way he sees himself, he would affect everything he would do. When you have a distorted mirror of yourself, it affects you in life. If you have a distorted mirror and you live your life through what people have said about you, through, through the negative things people have spoken over your life, through even negative experiences of life, if you see your life through that negative, destructive mirror, it's going to limit your life. But the moment I see, I am valued by God. I'm of immense value to my Father in heaven. He values me. He thinks well of me. He speaks amazing thoughts over my life. And we want that kind of relationship. You're valued by God. Here's the last thing. I'll close with this one. You are engaged. Since I've discovered that Jesus is alive... I've been engaged in his service. And I'll close by saying this. The greatest thing in life is to be engaged in the service of Jesus. Because he's alive, he gives us the honor to be engaged, to partner with him, to tell other people about the fact he's alive. You see, if we don't tell people, how are they going to know? Is that right? And so we're engaged, partnering with him, to tell people that Jesus really is alive. We're messengers engaged with the great reality that Jesus is alive. So think of that because he's alive this morning. You're accepted by God. You're loved, inspired, valued, engaged, all because he's alive. But there's the things. None of those things can be true of you unless Jesus is in your life. Unless he's in your life, you'll never know acceptance. Unless he's in your life, you'll never know the security of being loved. Unless he's in your life, really you'll never have much cause and there'll be no inspiration for life. If he's not in your life, you'll never feel the true sense of being valued. Never know what it is to know that somebody really, truly values you for who you are rather than what you do. And you'll never engage. You'll never know that engagement, that, that walk, that, that, that relationship with Jesus unless he's in your heart. So that's the challenge this morning. If he's alive, does he live in your heart? Do you know him as Lord and Saviour? And secondly, if you do know him as Lord and Saviour, are you revealing him? Are you demonstrating? Are you living for his cause or your cause? Whose cause are you living for? he's alive, then we live for his cause. Let's just bow our heads this morning and just come before him. I just want to spend a few moments today just allowing that truth that Jesus is alive and he lives in me. I remember when I first became a Christian, the first time I came to Christ, my first experience of Jesus was this sudden thought that came to me. He's alive. I know he's alive. I've met him. I know him. I feel him. I know he's alive. 
I could feel the peace and the, and the joy welling in my heart. I had no shadow of a doubt right at that moment that Jesus was alive. And I knew he lived in me right there and then. And I've never looked back from that moment. I know he's alive. And I know he lives in me. So I want to give you opportunity in these moments. Just spend a few moments in your own heart. Saying, Jesus, I want to know you. Firstly, I want to know you as Savior. I thank you that you died for me on the cross. And you want to come and live in my heart. And today I want to open my heart and let you come and live in my heart. I want to pray for you this morning. Here's the first thing. If you've never received Jesus into your heart, never known him living in your heart today, he's alive, but he doesn't live in you. You may know about him, may have heard about him, but it's not really alive in your heart. And all you need to do this morning is thank him that he died for you on the cross. Recognize that he died for your sin. And just believe and put your trust in him and his death on the cross. And if you invite him into your heart, he will come into your heart and he will change your life forever. So I'm going to pray a prayer this morning. Second thing is this. Maybe you've received Jesus in your heart, but you will go through struggles. But maybe today you've kind of wandered away from that. And there's a wonderful moment on this very resurrection morning, if you like. You can come back and you can re, if you like, re-give your, re- recommit your life to him. Just in these moments. Jesus is alive and Jesus is here. I know he's here because I can feel him. I know his reality. I can feel his presence in this place today. So that's you in these moments. If you're in one of those two categories, if you like. And I want to pray for you just in these moments. Very simple. I just want you to just simply raise your hand where you are. And we're going to pray. That's you this morning. Just raise your hand where you are. I want to give people opportunity. Just these moments. Okay. Anybody else today? That's you. Just presence. Anybody else? In a few moments. Let's all pray this prayer together. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you this morning that you are alive. And I thank you today that you want to come and live in my heart. I thank you for dying for me on the cross. And I recognize today that I have sinned. And I ask you to forgive me. And I put my trust and I put my faith in you. And I invite you now, Lord Jesus, to come and live in my heart, to be my Lord and Savior. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. It's going to be a fun. he's alive, only believe he's alive this morning. Thank you for listening to the free download from the Lansing Elam Church. For more downloads, information or contact us, please visit our website at the Lancet Ealing.co.uk.